nice to see y'all. I love being outside, and we're going to be outside next week as well. I'm hoping y'all knowing that we're in the process of cleaning up the sanctuary. Well, this first step, if you've noticed, we had stains on the east and west side. So right now the ceilings are ripped open and we're dealing with that first. And we'll get that solved and then there's some other pieces. So we'll be out here for two weeks and then likely back in there for some period of time yet to be determined yet. And then outside again when we uh, start doing some of that uh, other stuff. Uh, uh, I'm Todd, by the way, if I've not met you all, but uh, uh, nice to be with you. Those of you online, good morning, wherever you are this morning, and uh, trust you're enjoying Jesus inside or outside. Either way, we're the family of God getting together to, uh, to ultimately celebrate Him. So we're in this series about why is the church so unstoppable, and uh, uh, what's making it go so well. Uh, 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 and, and one of the keys, and we're going to look at that today, we've already seen it, but they put first things first. They had their priorities. Now, let's just quick do a, a, a little bit of review of where we've been. What made this early church so formidable? Here's the absolute foundation of it. The certainty of Jesus' life, death, resurrection. Any questions? <laughs> This guy lived, he died, and he rose again. They got who he was, and they had an experience of the reality of Jesus. That is the absolute foundation. That is the bottom level. That's where everything comes from. From that, though, they had a clear mission. As those who experienced Jesus' Jesus' last words before he sent it into heaven, and this is not by accident. Y'all remember? Y'all be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. You're going to enjoy this, but you're not going to keep it to yourself because there's going to be so much joy. It's impossible for you to keep it to yourself. you got to share this with other people who would have that hope. The Holy Spirit in God's divine sovereign plan was that he would come after Jesus came into this world, rose from the dead, and bring a power that exceeded what he brought. He'd come in and dwell all of us and fill us with the power that comes from God. And as we've been going through early Acts, I hope what you'll see, you're going to see it uh, uh, alluded to today, a clear message of Jesus. Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the key. When they're talking about church life, when they're talking about Christianity, they are talking about Jesus. Standing lovingly always. There'll be challenges. There'll be things that'll be hard. How do those who treasure Christ respond? When they need to, they stand, but they stand lovingly. And they live with integrity. Keith dealt with that last week. But this authenticity that comes from understanding we have a relationship with the Almighty God who knows everything. So the challenges they faced... Because this book is primarily about how this church gets started and how it's going. I think there's eight or nine times through the book where Luke is the author is going to tell us. And their numbers grew. More people were being saved. That's why we're looking at Acts. What are the principles here that can now help us have an even greater influence in this world? First way was opposition from the outside. I think we have that experience in our culture here. They told those guys, stop preaching. The religious leaders and the state leaders, stop preaching. You remember what they said? 
Obey you guys or obey God? Not that tough a decision. We're to be witnesses, so we are not actually going to listen to you. And then Keith, I thought, did an outstanding job last week. Lack of integrity, hypocrisy. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Barnabas had given everything, a bunch of folks had given everything, and they tried to convey that they had given everything, but they lied to the leaders, but ultimately to God, and God struck them dead. You remember that text, right? I thought Keith did an outstanding job that there was an alternative. I would have tied it. It could have been titled something like, Give or Die. <laughs> I see it as a motivational text about giving. Now, I thought Keith did an outstanding job because the text isn't about giving. The text is about living with integrity. We all want people to think more highly of us than maybe they ought if they really know who we were, but how do we live with this freedom and how do we live with integrity? God sees everything. He's redeemed us. He sees us as righteous. I can maybe fool all you, but I can't fool the biggest guy that counts. So why would I fool around? If I'm good with him, what other people think is going to mean less, outside and inside. And we're going to look at the text today. There's going to be another challenge that's going to occur from the inside in terms of those things which could maybe keep the church from going forward most effectively. <clears throat> so if you will, read with me here. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint, a complaint, a complaint. Now, they're going to bring something to the apostles' attention that I think should be brought. But I think Luke's being pretty precise here in the verb he chooses in the original language. I think he's implying they could have said, hey, they made the guys aware. They chose to... Complain. By the Hellenists, these are, are Greek-speaking Jewish believers, maybe have, who have migrated back to the area, but primarily they're speaking, uh, their primary language is Greek. A complaint by the Hellenists, those Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, arose against the Hebrew Christians there, probably in this day and age speaking Aramaic primarily, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this study. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Father, I pray as we look at this text that you'll help us to see what you inspired Luke to write. He's telling us about how unstoppable the church, how I believe at any age, ought to be because we're ultimately empowered by you because we stand 
on the truth of who Jesus is. Help us today and as we continue to read through this book to see these truths which you have designed for us to encourage us, to fill us with the hope and the passion, the grace, ah, the confidence and the joy that comes in Jesus and sharing his goodness with others. Father, that's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Did I go too far? There's your marker. Could you all see me? <laughs> Maybe the people watching at home on TV would just assume I walked way over here. We just can't hear from them. Thank you, Hannah. So I'm going to be standing over here. And for those of you who would like to see me, ah, you got me now the entire time. So here's the challenge they're facing. They had opposition from outside. They had people not living with integrity on the inside, always a challenge. And now there are folks being overlooked as the church grew. Now, let me tell you, this is an outstanding problem to have. There's more people to take care of. There's more needs to be met. And they obviously implied in the text as they had a way to, 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 for those widows, particularly provide them food because they wouldn't have had families or something. So the church community had determined that they were going to help meet these needs. They were going to love these thumps. But the apostles are all of a sudden now being pressed. You know, we had 3,000 added one time and a couple other at another time. And this place is growing and now they can't manage everything. There's more to do than they can accomplish. So they have a very simple solution. Let's divide up the responsibilities among us. And uh, now we're going to be able to continue to love folks that, that needed to be, to be loved. So here's, I see two points here. Here's the first one. First, does everybody see the first? First, here's the priority. Make sure the promoting of Jesus with words, you don't lose that. I'm old. In my life, this feels like it's become less of a priority, even in churches. Because this is about having an accurate understanding of who God is. There's nothing more important. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So first, we got all these things to do, all these responsibilities, all these needs that out there that need to be met. Don't compromise on that. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a great problem, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God. And, and I think this is used more generally than typically in our culture. What you think of what I'm doing right now is preaching. And certainly the apostles did that. Come back next week. We're going to look at a sermon, the longest sermon in the book of Acts, preached by a guy named Stephen. So certainly this is included. It's just talking about the proclamation of the word about who Jesus is. And the word here, appropriately, is small w. They didn't have the Bible. Remember back, Johnny talked about the church, what they were focused on. What was that first thing? What was that first thing? Anybody remember? Thank you, Johnny Burns. 
you could have paused and given everybody an opportunity. I was pretty confident you would remember. But they focused on the apostles' teaching. So do we. They didn't have the New Testament. We got the New Testament, but we're doing the same thing by focusing on, because here's the foundation, having an accurate view of who God is. And so the truth of God is absolutely foundational, and getting this as accurate as we can is absolutely foundational to who we are. You heard me say just a little bit ago, feels to me, generally speaking in churches, less important. God is holy. I want to summarize what the truth about God is. Old Testament and new. He's holy. In the beginning, God. Holy, sinless, but at its core, it actually means completely other than everything else. In the beginning, there was God. What else was there? There was God. What else was there? God. Nothing. <laughs> there was nothing besides God. That's the essence of his holiness. It certainly means without sin and all that, but completely separate from everything. Implied unmistakably in that is everything that's out there revolves around God and seeing things as revolving and coming from God. He is holy. He is righteous. And then you get introduced pretty early in that first book in the Bible, and we are not. How many of us are not holy before Christ? Yes, thank you. Everybody in the world, everybody, 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 and this creates a problem. Because God in his holiness can't really have a relationship with those that aren't holy. It would contradict his character, but the reality is he loves us. Whoops, there's my line. Thank you, Hannah. But he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Now, there's a group of folks that call themselves post-evangelicals that look at the Old Testament and say, ah, it really isn't that accurate. It really doesn't mean it. But these three truths are all in the Old Testament if it's read correctly. And God says to Abraham, hey, people aren't doing so well, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to develop a special relationship with you and your children. We call those folks Jews. The record of that relationship, primarily the Old Testament, is how this invisible God is going to reveal himself to everybody. Now, if you read the Old Testament as a whole, man alive, is he forgiving and is he merciful over and over and over again? Does he take unholiness seriously? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Some of that message have some who want to put themselves somewhere in the evangelical circle saying, oh, that's not our God. Yes, it is. He cares desperately about holiness. And we are not, and yet he loves us. So he instituted this sacrificial system with Moses 1,300 years before Jesus. Go and offer these sacrifices as an expression of your faith, and it was to teach them that they never were ever going to solve it. They had to keep giving sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice because they couldn't solve it. This system, which was, we human beings, we mess things up. This system, which is intended to promote their understanding of their deep need, they actually turned it into a system that they justified themselves with. Well, if I do all this, then I'm making myself right with God. Not the point. 
Who were the people Jesus got most ticked with? The religious leaders. The people who were in charge of reading the Old Testament and giving people an accurate view of God, and they messed it up. Somehow we think that's somehow less important today, some folks. It's foundational to what we believe, and that leads us again to Jesus. He lived, he died, and he rose from the dead to save us. So when we talk about what we talk about as the church, there are a gazillion issues out there that relate to our faith. Do you hear me? There's a labyrinth of issues. What do we stay focused on? God is holy. We are not. He loves us. So he sent his son into this world that we might be put back with him. And now we're righteous in his eyes if we treasure him. And those who treasure Jesus, their lives are radically transformed because once you experience the significance and the security that comes from being made right with God, everything else in the world, everything is less important. Everything. Are there other issues? Yes. Does our faith call us to be involved in this world and standing for Jesus' righteousness in lots of ways? Yes. What's primary in our minds and what's primary in our hearts? Jesus. And he loves everybody. We look forward to being with him. We look forward to his son's return. This is first in our heads and first in our hearts. Any questions thus far? Then, first, we're going to make sure the promoting of Jesus with loving action is the priority. Now, some of you, those of you who are most logical and most reasonable, you're going, now you can't have two firsts. If you have a first, you have to have a second. <laughs> no. <laughs> first, we talk about Jesus and his life. Then first, we express it. I think there's some people less excited about thinking about God rightly. I'm afraid sometimes there are people that become great Bible trivia experts, but not that interested in loving it, loving, expressing that love. Heck, I've even seen folks on the news who in the love of Christ and proclaiming the love of Christ are actually behaving in a way that I am absolutely certain is counter to what he desires. Any questions? First, we focus on Jesus and we talk about him because we've had this experience. And then that love that we've experienced and fills us flows out of us. That's 
first two, well, two, two oh oh. I'm sorry about that, right? <laughs> and I know some of you mathematicians right now, your heads are just spinning. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Not because it's unimportant. They just have limited time. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men. Now, notice these characteristics. The apostles were chosen by Jesus, but... There's no less of a spiritual foundation for these guys in what they're doing than there is for the apostles. Notice this. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The apostles are in charge. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen. Now, Luke's setting them up for next week's time together where he's going to preach, and the results of that are going to be the church being launched after his sermon. Now, there's a couple of details in between his sermon <laughs> and the church being launched, but I'm going to tell you already what, the, what Luke's trying to help us see next week. A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timonen, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, and these, they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of priests, Jewish priests, weren't Christians at the time, but they came to faith. Jewish religious leaders came to faith through this group. Now, what I want you to see is the experience of Jesus and talking about Jesus and expressing that him are, are, are inseparably linked. Inseparably linked. If we love him, we do express that love. Is the talking about Jesus for those of us who are going into the world and, and be witnesses, is that first? Yes. Is loving others practically, is that first? Oh, good. I would have loved to have more, yes. Is that first? Yeah. Because yeah. we're trying to figure out what made this church so unstoppable. What made this church so formidable? This is it. Jesus' words. And behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. First and first. According to whom? Jesus. That's what he said. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So also, faith by itself. If you think you have faith and you got this knowledge, if they're not works, it's not really faith. You can have all the facts about Jesus, 
His birth, death, resurrection, you can get that all right and think you believe it. But if the joy of that is not coming out, primarily in loving others, there's a problem. The truth of God's love inevitably being expressed is essential because those who experience Jesus' love express it. Do you recognize that I sometimes get passionate? Well, I get passionate about most things that have to do with God, but this idea particularly, because it's this truth that brought me to faith. Though I thought I treasured Christ, I wasn't seeing the expression of it in my life. It forced me to reconsider where I was spiritually. I didn't actually love him. I knew a ton about it. I could have quoted all kinds of Bible verses. I just really wasn't that interested in sharing his love with anybody. That's a problem. Because we view the world differently. Before Christ... You know, this world is just chaotic and it's just a mess. And hey, the best way to find security and significance is becoming successful, whatever that looks like. Usually money's involved and some fame. And the, the philosophy behind it is if people see how great I am, it will be good. We start looking at this and we start realizing in the beginning God and we go, we're not as big as we thought we were. Once we see the beauty of Christ, we go, this ain't about me. This is about him. This is about enjoying him and helping other people enjoy him. We view circumstances differently. Before we come to trust in Christ and see God's hand in everything, we got to fix everything and we got to solve everything. And why do we have to do it? Because it's completely up to us. In the beginning, God. I'm now a child of his. My dad is involved in everything. And he's got it. I'm responsible. But he is working in every circumstance to draw me to himself to help me trust him more and to display how cool he is to everybody else around me. We view Christ's treasures differently. Before we come to trust Christ, people that sit and listen to a guy like me ought to be pitied above all else. Now you could make some case they should still be pitied even if they trust Christ listening to me. <laughs> But we see Jesus and we go, this church family. Have you noticed we don't all think identically about everything? Has anybody noticed that? But we really don't care. Because what unites us is Jesus. You may vote differently than me. You may think shorts should never be worn by a guy preaching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. You wear flip 
Oh, it's okay? Flip-flops. Here we have two people with different views, perfectly illustrating the point. But we're never going to let that stuff divide us. Because you know what unites us? God loves us. And we're all his children. We're brothers and sisters. Are there going to be challenges? Let me assure you from where I sit, yes. But this message and truth of who Jesus is, we view those who don't treasure Jesus differently. Before we come to Christ, we're just competing with all those people in the world. And if they get in our way, we got to get them out of our way Pretty much whatever means we consider are reasonable at the time and whatever value system we have before we come to Christ. Most people who don't love Christ, everybody who doesn't love Christ, let's just say they have a different value system. So they treat other people differently because they're just trying to take care of themselves and those that they care about. We get Jesus and we go, these people, they're doing some nutsy, crazy things. Their values don't fit with mine at all. But they're in bondage to Satan. They're trapped. Their life is miserable now, and they're headed for hell. But we have the solution. Jesus. So we're going to love them. Because we realize the power of love. changes everything. The results, I hope you notice from the text in verse 7. More people treasure Jesus more deeply, and the word of God continued to increase. There are more and more people buying it, listening to the apostles' teaching. There's more and more people sharing this in their conversations with those who treasure Christ, and there's more and more of these folks sharing it with their friends that don't love Christ. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests even became obedient to the faith. What's the key? They kept their focus on Jesus. They kept growing even after they came to faith in Jesus. They kept growing in their experience of his love and it kept motivating them and helping them share this even more fully, more often with more folks. And what was the result? More people came to treasure Christ. But show you a video. Maybe uh, many of you have seen it. Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma women's softball team. And I watched this and I went, this is what focusing on Jesus and living in love looks like. ESPN, for, for the players, I know you talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious, it's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. And um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, 
and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. One thousand percent agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I. I was so happy to win the call. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Yeah, um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys yeah. see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home, and I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home, and um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So, Patty, uh, you've got to keep your eye on the prize and, and really work with these players on, on their skill set, but I think from a human nature perspective, it's easier to learn from failure and from losing than it is from winning. How do you try to stay on top of these players and keep them improving throughout the year when there is that kind of challenge within there? I think they just gave you the answer. So I, again, they're unapologetic about the way they feel and what they believe. And that makes my job easier because I'm with them in that. So like we're we're not looking at what could happen or oh the pressure there is pressure right but these guys have embraced it they love it they love the big moments because the big moments are the moments that they'll never forget and how it happened and when we come back 10 years from now they're going to laugh and remember some fun times and so forth but uh, they just don't break because they have the right mentality about the way they play the game. It's contagious. Where is it founded? I love it when that reporter asks her that question. They face difficulties, blah, 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 blah. 
You know, I think they just told you. Were you listening? <laughs> this is what contagious Christianity looks like. This is what it feels like. Now, most of us are probably not going to have the opportunity to be interviewed and have that stuff go all over. But this is how we interact with our neighbors. This is how we interact with our families. This is how we interact with our work associates when we get the opportunity. What gives us that credibility? Loving them. So I want you to look at just a few principles. We're going to walk through this quickly. Everybody has gifts. Everybody has gifts. Everyone using their gifts strengthens the body. We got to have everybody participating in this thing that we call the church family. When everybody's using their gifts, it works great. Everyone is to be talking about and displaying the love of Jesus. These guys wanted to preach the word, right? They couldn't do it all. You got to measure. You got to have priorities. But everybody is supposed to be doing both. Next week, the guy, one of the guys that was supposed to be passing out food to the widows is going to preach the longest sermon in the book of Acts. <laughs> this ain't an either or. In the church family, we maybe have different things that we do. But as we live our lives, all of us are to be preaching the word and all of us are to be loving There will be challenges. Do I need to explain that at all? Let me assure you, they come from outside, and at every other church I've served, they've also come from the inside. Every other church. Every other church. I love RCC. Challenges from the outside and the end. Are we ever going to be surprised? We're in a spiritual war. I love the way those young ladies conveyed their worldview. That's how we win this war, right there. And we're going to collaborate in unity and love, always. Are we going to disagree? Are we going to have different perspectives? Might we metaphorically overlook the distrib distribution of food to the Greek-speaking widows? Let me assure you, yes. Hopefully, we bring it to one another's attention without complaining. But we bring it up. And we let it know because that's how life works. So, here's a picture of, uh, of generally our organizational structure here. When we talk about the ministry of the word, and don't hear me saying there's not love going on there, but, but these are the people on the pastoral team that are primarily overseeing this because we're dividing up the responsibility. We're 2,000 years later. We figured out dividing up the responsibilities is a good thing. You got Sharia overseeing our worship, corporate worship experience. You got Heather overseeing our children's and family ministry, not just to provide stuff on Sunday mornings, but help equip our parents to help their kids raise. Johnny and, and Hannah with our students, you hear about camp, please be praying for this. This is a pretty intense time. Be praying for those kids. Uh, we, we got Stephen that's overseeing our adult discipleship generally and all kinds of layers, all kinds of pieces to this. We got Keith overseeing care. We don't want anybody, we don't want any widows not getting food, metaphorically speaking. Our desire and hope here is that no one would ever go through anything alone if you're a part of our church family, nobody. And then Keith oversees again our outreach here in Jerusalem and then our Judea and Samaria. And, and then to the ends of the, world, ends of the world. Now, we got actually a huge support thing. You know, to run our organization, in the years I've been doing this, has only gotten increasingly complex. 
Part of that is state standards, federal standards. It is just a nightmare of details that have to be taken care of. And my sense is there are more of these in California than in the other states I live, but I love the weather. So Brian's overseeing all of these. Brian Betts is overseeing all of these. Our, our communications, again, uh, our office, Sonia, and, and finance, uh, Mark Jones, and uh, Chris Johansson oversees all our campus. And of course, you know Bonnie. We sang happy birthday to him in 65th a couple of weeks ago. But uh, th th this is our team. Now, I, I put this up here to give you some sense of how we've divvied up the responsibilities. The biggest thing is if you'd like to have a role here, if you'd like to participate in one of these, We'd love to have you. The more people involved in this, the more people helping this stake happen, we got plenty of things to do. Talk to one of these folks and we would love to have you participate in this. We're happy with what God is doing in us and through us at RCC. But make no mistake, we dream of more. We dream of experiencing Jesus' love even more deeply and spreading it more passionately and more thoroughly to others that other folks might enjoy what we're enjoying. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for giving us this biblical text. Thanks for encouraging us with what was going on in the early church. Father, we love you and we're, we're, we're doing our best to follow you and to treasure you and to share our love with others. But individually and collectively, Father, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. There'd be even more of the joy that comes from you, even more of the love, even more of the peace. We think of all those folks with whom we interact regularly. Father, keep our eyes fixed on you and continue to use as vessels, as conduits of sharing your love in word and deed with everyone with whom we interact.